great to be with you. I'm going to talk this morning about revival. I said revival. (laughs) We were having a little bit of revival there a minute ago. It's what it looks like. A lot of shaking going on. So let's just get into it. Romans chapter 8. Verse 18 through 21 in the Passion Translation, which I kind of enjoy, puts some scriptures that we know in a new light, kind of a new expression, makes them, and sometimes they come alive because of that. So check this out, Romans 8, 18 through 21, I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now, with eager expectation, All creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. This is one of those scriptures, Pastor Eddie was kind of mentioning that, that is a now and not yet scripture. On one hand, it's clearly talking about the day that we enter into eternity and we see him face to face. And that day is coming, and every one of us will stand before him. Hello. That's why it's probably a good idea that we press in now. Revival's not a child's game, revival's real. Revival is life pouring into our hearts. The life of God. Everywhere he goes, everywhere he is, is filled with life. And so this scripture is talking about the day we step into eternity, but it's also talking about the moments and the days and the times and the seasons that we reach into the here and now and we express the glory of God through our life. When we find out who we are, who we've been made to be, that we're a son and a daughter of the king, that there's something more in us, there's a destiny, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a spark of eternity in each of our hearts. And revival awakens those things. And when more than just one of us, when, when a few of us, when... When all of us start to reach into that place, something begins to happen. And I believe that we are sitting in a place and we're worshiping in a place where the sparks of revival are being lit. I can't think of a better time than this right now when all the world seems to be going to hell for revival to flood the earth like never before. It's just how God does things when we feel weak. In fact, his glory begins when we're the weakest. 
His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Could it be that we're living in a time when the greatest revival to ever hit the earth will rise up in us and through us? So anyway, I thought it'd be good to talk about revival. I don't know, I'd rather live in a day like today than any other day. I'm so grateful that I'm alive today. I'm not intimidated by what's going on in the world because greater who is in us is he than he who is in the world. So contrast that scripture we just read with this one found in 2 Timothy 3, the Passion Translation. To me, it's like, I don't know, man, Paul must have been seeing our day. He said, but you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce. People will be self-centered lovers of themselves and obsessed with money. They will boast of great things as they strut around in their arrogant pride and mock all that is right. They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. They will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander. Slaves to their desires, they will be ferocious, belligerent haters of what is good and right. With brutal treachery, they will act without restraint, bigoted and wrapped in clouds of their conceit. They will find their delight in the pleasures of this world more than the pleasures of the loving God. They may pretend to have a respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from people like these. One thing we can know for sure Revival will look pretty much opposite of that scripture. The condition of the culture is the direct result of the absence of God. Revival is the direct result of the presence of God. That's why I think it's good we get into his presence. We're just singing some songs. It's amazing what God does in music. Changes the room. He rides on it. <laughs> he rides. Woo! We didn't create music. Do you think we could create that? I mean, we create music. But we didn't create something God hasn't been able to create. He's a musician. He sings over you. He's singing over you right now. Imagine what his lyrics would be. What would his voice sound like? What would be the theme? Would it be up the upbeat like a, I don't know, man. It's like crazy to think about God doing music. Revival comes when he comes, and he comes when he comes. He comes here when he comes, but he definitely likes to be invited. Charles Finney, you may know who that is. He was a revivalist in the 19th century. He was one of the leaders of the second great awakening. He said this about his encounter with God. He said, the Holy Spirit seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love for I could not express it in any other way. The next morning, after experiencing God like that, Charles Finney returned to his law, he was a lawyer, he returned to, returned to his law office to meet a client, 
And he told the man, I have a retainer from the Lord Jesus Christ to plead his cause, and I cannot plead yours any longer. Then he began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He preached the same sermon for seven years before anything happened. But somehow at that seventh year, it took hold in the hearts of people. And a mighty, massive revival began to spread across America. And when that, when that revival hit, things began to shake. And a lot of times revival is better seen in hindsight. Revival comes in waves, like the tide. It rolls over us, sometimes increasing in intensity. Could it be that we are in the midst of a revival right now? And if that's so, what would God ask of us? Charles Finney began to pray and seek God in the presence of God flowed. There was, a, there was a man, John Wesley, and his brother, Charles Wesley. They wrote 6,500 hymns because music is birthed in revival. Think about the worship that's pouring across the earth right now as we speak. There's never been the level, the amount, the intensity, the creativity, the sound of worship like there is today. That is an indicator of revival. I want to be a part of that revival. I want to live in it. I want to bathe in it. I want to be immersed in it. I want to find my strength in it. I want to walk in it like I've been made to walk in it. I want to find my place because God has given you and I a place. He's gone before us, but he's made a way for us to express ourselves in the revival of God. There were holy rollers and shakers in that revival. The Cane Ridge revival meetings in 1801 in, in the south occurred. There was like 25,000 people at a service in those services. There's no PA system. They'd have seven preachers preaching at the same time, standing on stumps and on tables, just preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, filled with the power of God. God was moving. People would fall out on the ground and start shaking. They started to be called. They would be mocked. Holy rollers, shakers. You better believe things are going to start shaking if the presence of God fills your life. You better believe there's going to be an expression. I don't want to know the God that if he fills me, there's no expression. I'm just the same as I was. But if he fills me, then there needs to be some kind of something coming out of me. So we love the intellectual, the theology. We love, the, we love to figure things out, to be in control. But it's a little unsettling when, when God becomes free in us and things happen that we can't control. Then that gets a little unsettling. And so the church becomes very rigid about these things. But revival wakes us up. Revival does exactly what it says it does. It brings us back from the dead. It causes us to be alive again. And when we're alive, there is an expression of life that comes out of us. And so we should not be surprised if when the Holy Spirit, who is God, indwells us, that there would be some kind of expression that comes out of us. Hello. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of trembling going on, a lot of shaking going on in these days. We are going to tremble. 
we will shake. The earth will tremble. Every demon will tremble at the name of Jesus. You better believe there's going to be a lot of shaking going on. So Jesus had his 12 disciples and they walked around. They did, they did good most of the time. They're hanging out, seeing him do his stuff. And it was amazing, I'm sure. Could you imagine being a part of that team? But several times in the Gospels, they, would, they wouldn't do so well. They would start to argue with each other, always about the same thing. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And it's interesting when you look at that, the devil said this to Jesus when he tempted him. He tempted him with the pride of life. Jesus in the, temp, in the wilderness, remember that? And he said, I will give you all the authority. I'll give you. The devil said that to him. Why? Because he had received the authority in sin. When man sinned, the, dev, the authority of the earth was given to the devil. Now he feels like he has it to give. He's offering it to Jesus, but he's also offering it to us. He said, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. And so the disciples are having this ongoing argument about who's the greatest. And I realize that our lust for greatness is just a click away from our design to glorify God. It's a counterfeit. The need to be seen, the need to be recognized, the need to be celebrated or glorified is a counterfeit to the design in us to have him seen through us. To have him seen, recognize, have him reckon, be recognized through us and have him be glorified through us. It's just one click away and that click is this. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. His glory begins when our strength ends. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 9 in the Passion. Even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory, though it produced death. The Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses, who, by the way, had been in the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights. The result was he was glowing. They couldn't bear to gaze on his glowing face because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade away. Yet how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us? For if the former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? And then if you move down a little bit to verse 18, it says, We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces and with no veil we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. The transforming glory is the result of gazing upon the beauty and splendor of Jesus Christ. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Greek verb Verb metamorpho is the same word used in that passage for transfigured, the same word that was used when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain into his glory. God is tra transfiguring us into his glory 
as we walk with him. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we are transfigured into a glory carrier for God. Amen. God is good. I love it that revival comes when we least expect it, when we least think that it's possible, when things seem to be the most chaotic in our own personal life. If you're struggling with a lot of things that seem really demanding, really challenging, you are right to be used by God for revival. That's how he does stuff. I didn't tell him that's how he should do it. I wish he wouldn't. I wish revival would come when the skies were blue and everything was easy. But revival comes when the storm is pouring out its most vicious stuff because God likes to show himself strong. John the Baptist was the last prophet of the Old Testament. He's written about in the New Testament but he was the last prophet of the Old Testament operating as the prophets of the Old Testament did. Jesus said of him, there's no one who's ever been greater than this man, John the Baptist. But then he said, but anyone who does anything in the kingdom of God is greater than him. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Let's do this thing. Let's be unashamed, unafraid of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's rise above the divisiveness, the conflict. It's all a mirage anyway. Nobody really believes the stuff that we're seeing. It's, it's ridiculousness. The devil is a liar. He needs to be kicked in the teeth. And who else better to do it than us? Filled up with the power of God. Filled up with the goodness of God, the grace of God, the freedom of God, the life of God. He's in us. He's with us. He's for us. He's gone before us into the wilderness. He showed us the way. He's not holding anything back. Why would we? I don't know when there would be a better time than now. I can't think of anything getting crazier. I bet it's probably gonna though. But I don't know, it's kind of cool. What do we got to lose? I mean, if we get taken out, we're just in heaven. <laughs> I mean, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> what's, what's the worst that can happen? God's awesome. The fact that you're here, man, it just speaks volumes. That you're able to come into a service like this and not run for your life. That's powerful. You've been, you've been groomed for such a time. Groomed, that's a terrible word to use right now. <laughs> so John the Baptist, when he was, uh, Zacharias was his dad, remember that? And he, went, he had his one chance, he got, his lot was pulled and he went into the temple. This is one moment he's been waiting his whole life to go and this was his chance, you know, to, to light the incense and be the priest in the temple. He's the father of John the Baptist. And the angel comes, Gabriel comes and says, you're gonna have a son, you know, 
like a lot of times in the Bible, Elizabeth is barren. You're going to have a son. She's old. Just like Abraham and Sarah. They weren't exactly a young, vibrant prince and beautiful young virgin. When they had their first child, he was 100 and she was 90. Bit of an angry woman. He turned out to be a bit of a stud. (laughs) Zacharias is now in the temple. Same kind of situation. The angel comes, Gabriel, you're going to have a son. He's going to be a mighty man of God. And Zacharias goes, uh, give me a sign that, that what you're saying is true. <laughs> like, what, a, what are you doing, man? Gabriel is like this angel telling you this stuff. And so he was struck deaf and mute. You know, we know he was, couldn't hear because later when they talked to him, he had to get things signed for him to hear. He couldn't hear or speak. Showing us that our lack of faith will close our ears off to the whisper of the Holy Spirit and shut our mouth to the greatness of God that he wants to express through us. So Zacharias walks out of there and sure enough, they had their son, John the Baptist, and the angel told Zacharias, he said, he will walk in the spirit and power of Elijah, turning the hearts of the children back to their fathers. And that's exactly what John the Baptist did, but he did it in the mode of the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, one person at a time had the power of God flowing through them. But we are in the New Testament, the New Covenant. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. And everyone who will, will. And now when the last verse of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, For in the great and dreadful day of the Lord, I will send the spirit and power of Elijah upon the earth. He's talking about you and I walking in the spirit and power of Elijah. Not just some of us, but every one of us who will. And so this is all I want to share with us this morning. Just three quick thoughts on what that might look like. Because it's time for revival, and Pastor Mike has been praying for revival since the day I met him, which was in 1986. He was preaching revival, and I just have a belief. I know he's going to preach revival till he takes his last breath. But it takes more than one person preaching revival, although he is a fire starter. It takes us to come alive in this day for such a time as this, to step into what God wants to do on the earth. I want to be counted. I want my life to count. I don't want to just go like we said in the earlier service and look out the window and tell people to get off my lawn, (laughs) which you start to do when you hit a certain age. Get off my grass. I know every night I go out and I go out the front door, look around for a minute, it's about midnight. All right, come back inside, go to bed. Every morning I wake up looking out the sliding glass door, all right, my little domain. I don't even know why I'm saying that, Pastor Christian. Called him Pastor Nathan this morning. (laughs) I was confused. It's time for revival. Three things we can expect when we walk in the spirit and power of Elijah. Number one, supernatural provision. Supernatural provision. It's sitting there for us. Supernatural provision. God told the prophet Elijah to ask the widow who was ready to die with her son to give him 
her last meal as an offering. Do you realize how rude that is? But by doing so, she received enough supply to feed her and her son for the duration of the drought. Proving that giving is a far more effective way of tapping into supply than scratching and clawing for your share. Especially when you are in need. And so we see this happen in the 17th chapter of 1 Kings, which is really where Elijah's ministry begins. This is his first miracle. Therefore, it's the first thing I'm mentioning because I believe this is significant. Supernatural provision is significant, but how we reach that is also extremely significant. It's a first fruits sort of thing. It's putting God first, putting him first. He said, give me your last meal. I mean, they're ready to die. She's preparing her last meal to die. He said, give it to me. I mean, that's craziness. But he knew, see, he's obeying God. He knew there's something about this. You see, God needs to be first. Not because he has a big ego, but it's because he's preeminent. In other words, he is first. He's first in everything. And that's why if we're not putting him first in something, our life will be out of order. And so it's a matter of order, it's a matter of priority. And so when we give first in our finances, we step into the flow of his blessing. Yeah, we're talking about money. Ouch. So if God is first in your life, everything else will fall into place. If God is not first in our life, nothing can come into order. When we put God first in our giving, we bring order to our finances. The first portion belongs to God. That's why we don't pay it, we, we bring it. And when we bring the first portion to him, the rest is blessed. So we put God first and everything is really significant. It's the first miracle that Elijah did and we're walking in the spirit and power of Elijah. So this is really important. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this. Glorify God with all your wealth, honoring him with your first fruits, with every increase that comes to you. Then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. There is miracle provision flowing into the lives of those who prioritize the kingdom in this generation. The second thing we can expect when we walk in the spirit and power of Elijah is resurrection life. Resurrection life. The last enemy to be subdued and eliminated is death itself, the scripture says. Jesus put death in the grave and he rose to life. And now we walk in the resurrection life, the power of God. There's no generation that has ever lived that needs more of the resurrection life of God than this generation right now. The second thing that happened in that chapter is that this same woman who was ready to die with her son with their last meal, who was then sustained by her giving, her son did die. And she called for Elijah. And he came, and verse 21 of chapter 17 says, he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, oh Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him 
and he revived. God is pouring life into death. The kingdom of darkness is a kingdom of death, but the kingdom of God is the kingdom of life. We know that the culture is lined up with the kingdom of darkness when it tries to confuse, castrate, and mutilate our children. That is if they make it out of the womb alive. But when Roe versus Wade was thrown down, (laughs) it's a little bit of a clue that resurrection life is flowing in this generation. And I love the story about Elisha, who you remember was Elijah's, uh, followed Elijah. He was mentored by Elijah. Elisha, Elijah threw his cloak over Elisha and he took his mantle. And so he had similar miracles, just like the ones we're talking about right now. But he raised a, uh, the, the woman who built him a home to stay in. She was barren. He prophesied that she would have a child. She did. That boy when he was just a young boy, had some kind of aneurysm, it sounds like in the Bible, because his head hurt, and he died. And she got on her horse and ran to get Elisha. It's an incredible story. He came. Gehazi, his servant, put his rod on the boy, but it didn't raise him. So then Elisha himself went up into the room where the boy was laid out. And Elisha closed the door behind him and laid on that dead boy with his body And he put his eyes to his eyes and his mouth to his mouth and his hands to his hands. And the boy's skin began to get warm. And he got off and he didn't revive. And he laid on him again. Eyes to eyes. Mouth to mouth. Hands to hands. And the boy began to sneeze. And he came to life. And when I read this, it's just so intimate. It's such an intimate picture of Elijah, Elisha, laying out on this young boy. And I thought, you know, this is like a picture of us not turning our back on this generation, not turning aside, not letting our heart grow cold, but letting the love of God, which covers a multitude of sin, fill our hearts to the extent that we desire to lay out for this generation and see them come back to life and see them rise up in the Spirit of God. And there's many in this room who have the gift of God on their life to preach and to minister and to pray and to bring thousands into the kingdom. And I want to encourage you today. Today is your day. Let the Spirit of God rise up in you. Let the warmth of God's heart fill your life. Let the love of God fill your heart so that it overflows and you begin to understand, I'm called to this generation. I'm called to give my life, to lay down my life, eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, hands to hands, that I would understand and relate and have empathy. And so we're not turning our back on a generation. God doesn't. Thank God he didn't turn his back on me. Thank God he didn't turn his back on you. But he walked right into our very worst and got lower than it and lifted us up. And some of you with a very difficult and dark story, I want to encourage you, the the depth of, the level of the depth of your depravity will always 
have a deeper level of revelation of grace that went beneath it and lifted you up out of it. And had you not, do not regret what has happened. It's your story. God ministers through you out of what you've been healed and delivered from. And his grace went deeper and lifted you up. And that is why we celebrate the goodness of God. And that's why we are the right sons and daughters for such a time as this. That we would be able to relate to the struggles and the difficulties, which are very dark, that are happening in this generation. We love people. We love people with the love of God. Thank God he loves us. And revival is crowned with love. God does everything he does out of love. He is love. He doesn't feel love. He is love. He doesn't ever give up. He doesn't ever stop. He doesn't listen to lies. He believes all things, hopes all things, bears all things. He is love. And therefore, we can be too. So it's very intimate. We can't be caught up in the division of today. There's no racial division here. It's a mirage anyway. I'm not saying there's not, hasn't been, you know, racial things happen. Of course they do. But it's a mirage that we're a racist company. That's a, a country. That's a mirage. It's a lie. And, and God loves to see us step up and deliver in the goodness of God in these ways. Third thing that we can expect when we walk in the spirit and power of Elijah, bold, obedient courage. Bold, obedient courage. And the next chapter, chapter 17, this is what we just described. Chapter 18 of 1 Kings talks about Elijah challenging the 450 prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. It's quite a moment. Elijah's the man. He's a beast. He said, come on, let's do this thing. He said, I, I, there seems to be a lot of confusion happening right now about whose who's God is the Lord, you know, so let's find out. And so he challenged the 450 prophets of Baal, you build an altar, I'll build an altar, we'll put a bull on both of them, and whichever God brings down the fire and consumes it, that will show who is the Lord. And so they said, sounds like a good idea. He said, okay, you guys go first. And so they built their altar, put a bull on it, started dancing around it. Come about noon, Elijah starts to give him a little business. What's the matter, boys? No God, is he sleeping? Elijah's just the boss, man. He's on fire. Come on, let's have a little fire. We're not intimidated by the enemy. And so he began to go after him. He said, what, is he taking a nap? Why don't you cut yourself? And so they started cutting themselves, bleeding all over the place. Nothing happens. Man, I don't know, your God doesn't seem to be much. And then he went to his, his altar where he had prepared the bowl. And the Bible says that uh, he said, now give me some buckets of water. And so he took buckets of water and began to pour them over the altar, over the wood. And he, he, he did it three times and pretty soon the trench, he had dug a trench around the altar. It was all filled with water. And, and, and so it shows us that, that uh, the fire of God coming out of our life is always preceded by the living water of the Holy Spirit washing over us.
And so Elijah set this up, and then he said, he got the water, I mean, it's just soaking wet. Now what the heck? And so he says, God in heaven, show yourself strong. I have done what you asked me to do. Bold, obedient courage. I have done what you asked me to do. Now come in your glory and consume this altar. And the fire of God came down and consumed the altar of Elijah. And everyone said, the Lord, the God of Israel, he is the Lord. And there was a revival that broke out in the land. And then Elijah took all the 450 prophets of Baal and he had them executed. And, And so we see this bold, obedient courage rising up in the spirit and power of Elijah. I don't know about you, but that kind of fires me up. Amen. So whenever we step out in bold, obedient courage, his glory is on display. His glory is on display. That's all I got. Amen. Uh. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Let's stand to our feet. Let's cry out to God. I don't know. Let's, Let's lift our voice to him. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come in your power. Show yourself strong. Come on, if you've been having a lot of stuff go against your life these days, sometimes it's good just to put that all aside. Just let it run off your back like a duck. Just water off your, off your back. I don't care what they... I mean, you might be facing some really challenging stuff, some difficult prognoses, some difficult uh, mental things happening, fears and anxieties. Just let it run off your back right now. You're, you're here now. This is what matters. This moment right now. This moment. Not what tomorrow's bringing, not what yesterday gave you, but right now, God is here. He's here. Amen. Sometimes it's good just to get your eyes off the stuff, put them on him, lift yourself up above the things that have tried to pull you down, And say, Lord, I'm yours. I put you first. I put you first. Take me. Use me. Take me as you will. Give me your word. Give me your, give me a vision. Give me, let your destiny pour out of my life. Come on, let's just begin to cry out to God in this place. We thank you, Lord, for your presence and your grace. We pray, God, the fire of God would land on this place, Lord. Light our hearts with your goodness. We cast down everything that hinders us in Jesus' name. We say you are bigger. You are better. Your grace is all I need. Be glorified in my life, oh God. Let me, let me move and walk and have my life in you. Let me find my place in you. I put aside every fear, every worry, every anxiety. I lay it down. I walk on it in Jesus' name. I put it under my feet. Every sickness, every disease. I say you have to roll up and die in the name of Jesus. You have no place in my body in the name of Jesus. I say the life of God is flowing through my veins. Resurrection life. Filling me with power and glory. Thank you, Jesus. Let the sons and daughters of God rise up in this day. Let the sons and daughters of God rise up in this day. Hallelujah. Let's just sing a little bit. My name holds everything.
so nice. Oh, it's so good. Please forgive me if I came on too strong, but uh, yeah, all right. I, you just got to do what you got to do. I don't know. Uh, um, it's so good to worship God. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. That's why we worship Him, because it's like an expression of that. It's like it's saying, it's all about you, and we're not ashamed of it. And so uh, we're just going to stay in this kind of moment. We'll just keep worshiping a little bit. If you're here today and you need some prayer, we're going to pray for you. Revival is not an overnight thing. This is, we're talking about something. We're in the season of it, and the, it's breaking free. It's breaking through. Let's agree in our hearts. Come on, Lord. <laughs> Come on. We're game for it. We're ready. Even though we don't feel like it all the time, we're ready. Help us be ready. Help us make adjustments that need to be made. Lord, give us supernatural enablement for every one of us in this room. Let some things fall down that, that don't belong. Let them fall off in Jesus' name that don't belong. They don't belong on you. They don't belong. Just say no to it in Jesus' name. And let only the things that God would put on you and with you, let them stay and rise up. Only His stuff. Only His goodness. Only His graces. Only His miracle power. Amen. So if you want prayer, we'll pray for you and agree with you in Jesus' name and miracles will happen. If you need Jesus, if you've never given him your life, come up, we'll pray and help you just make him Lord of your heart. If you want to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, come up, we'll pray with you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which you, we need. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Moy. Thank you, team. You guys are awesome. The chords that Pastor Reuben plays on the keyboard are out of this world. Amen. So come on forward. We'll pray for you. We love you. Praise God. Amen.